0: This is The Guardian.
1: Today, Britain has a new Prime Minister, the third in as many months. But can Rishi Sunak turn around the Conservative Party's fortunes and those of the country? It's Monday morning, it's unseasonably bright and warm and as we walk into Westminster, the chances are that within a few hours we could have a new Prime Minister. On Sunday night, Boris Johnson dramatically withdrew from the race.
2: Uh, Boris Johnson had come to the conclusion this would simply not be the right thing to do as you can't govern effectively unless you have a united party in Parliament.
1: ...leaving only two candidates remaining There's Penny Mordon. What this country needs is a fresh face ...someone that can unite the Conservative Party ...and get things to work in this country Who is struggling to get the backing of the 100 MPs that is needed And then there is the runaway favourite in the race Rishi Sunak. In the last minute or so, he's just put out a tweet which says the United Kingdom is a great country but we face a profound economic crisis. That's why I am standing... And as I look around here in Portcullis House, queues outside, as MPs start arriving for the day, there is a sense of anticipation building. From The Guardian, I'm Nosheen Iqbal. Today in Focus, Britain's next Prime Minister. So I'm here in the Guardian's offices in Westminster, and as you can imagine, it's a room filled with books, very drab green carpet. But I can promise you, there are at least two windows, and I'm here with the Guardian's deputy political editor, Jess Elgott. I think. Inevitably, we have to start with Boris Johnson
2: first. There are a number of names uh, in the mix, including, I have to say, uh, Boris Johnson, who's currently on holiday and on vacation at the moment.
1: In a weekend that started with him being in the Caribbean on his holiday, jetting back. Here we go, Boris Johnson coming back, we assume to run in the leadership race. Did he seriously think he could win and come back as prime minister? I'm not sure whether he did seriously think it was possible.
0: Obviously, the first kind of few hours, he gained quite a lot of
2: momentum. And I think that uh, the news that uh, Boris Johnson might be riding to the rescue of the country and the Conservative Party is really a a great tonic. And I'm really
0: excited. You've got the endorsement of quite a few cabinet ministers.
2: I think it would be only right to bring back the person who has a mandate and govern well for the next two years. That is the challenge for the Conservative Party.
0: And I think, you know, if you start to sort of get 20 or 30 MPs in the first few hours, then it looks it looks good for you. And he was on roughly on a par with Sunak at that point. I think it would have become clear over the last 48 hours, but definitely over the last kind of 24 hours that the numbers were probably not there. I think that Johnson probably had some kind of tentative promises from roughly about 102 MPs. But certainly people who weren't Prepared to back him unless they were absolutely sure that he was going to get over the line. But I think it probably became clear to roughly thirty to forty MPs that he was not publicly going to get over the hundred line. So therefore, those people started to flake away, and those promises just evaporated.
1: But for any sign of how fickle MPs can be, one should just look at Nadeem Zahawi's Twitter over the weekend and the piece that he published for the Telegraph endorsing Johnson two minutes before Johnson pulled out. Now, Jess, why did he? late on Sunday night, decide, as he said, now isn't the time? And what did you make of his statement? I think it's to do with the numbers and unfortunately, I think a lot of people have seen
0: yet another demonstration from Boris Johnson. You know, he's the grand old joke of York. He marches people up to the top of the hill and then, and then back down again. And he's done that, you know, again to some of his biggest supporters, people like James Dudridge, who was running the campaign. He was on the phone to James Dudridge saying, you know, yes, I'm up for it. Let's do it. Let's go as hard as we can. You've know, got cabinet ministers to write these endorsements. And then, you know, he pulls out and makes them look like idiots.
1: Hello, good morning. Rishi Sunak could be declared the next Prime Minister within the next few hours. He now has
0: support from the majority of Conservative MPs. Just 25 MPs have said publicly that they will support Penny Mordaunt. Jess,
1: as we stand mid-morning, Sunak and Mordaunt are both still in it to win it. And as we can listen to Andrew Sparrow furiously live-blogging in the I'm background... i
0: Twitter as we speak, speaking, just in case
1: something's happened while we've, while we've been speaking. But... As it stands, can you sum up the state of the race for me right now? What will the two campaigns be doing at this point? So I think, a lot,
0: I think a lot of the reason why you've seen them do very, very you know, very, very little media, you know, no speeches, no pledges really over the course of the last few days is because the candidate literally don't have any time to do anything else apart from sit in their office and have people pass, you know, have whoever's running their campaign, pass the phone over to them. So they talk to MPs trying to get around like another 150 of them. And I think that's, that's, that's what they're doing. They're not, they're not speaking to anybody apart from their colleagues.
1: So just to be clear, Sunak and Morden are both in rooms with their teams acting as telemarketers, as like double glazing salesmen, talking to MPs and convincing them to come on board. Yeah, I've just had a
0: text actually from the Penny Morden campaign, which says, we have passed 90 endorsements now. And for the sake of our party, it's important our members have a say. So that's, that tells you two things. Firstly, there's a lot of people, again, we're sort of in the same point where Boris was at, where there's, there's, there's you know, I haven't seen, certainly haven't seen 90 public endorsements for Petty Mordens. So we'll have to see whether those people really materialise. And uh, it suggests that she really will not pull out, even if she gets a significantly lower number of MP backers than Sunak does. So we'll have to see how that plays out over the next few hours. Thanks, Jess. See you in a bit.
1: So it's lunchtime in Portcullis House. Um, we're at the front of the building under the glass atrium. Now this is where MPs and their staff have their offices and you can hear a lot of people having their lunch. Jess, who can you spot in the atrium? Uh, there's a lot of people around. I can see Stephen Hammond, who's a Sunak supporter. You can
0: see um, Gavin Williamson and Rick Holden, again, big Sunak supporters, all kind of deep in conversation. And um, not many, I can't see many of team Penny around at the moment. Um, oh, no, I can. There's a selection of them over on that table as well. Obviously, a lot of people will be involved in making the sort of the final flurry of, of phone calls. But um, it is pretty significant, I think, that George Freeman, who was a, a big champion of, of Penny Morden, has said now he thinks that the, the party needs to come behind
1: Rishi Sinak. So we're outside committee room number 14 inside the Houses of Parliament and as you can hear there are many members of the press milling about. Uh, we can see the first of a trickle of MPs coming in and we're all waiting to hear the result about whether this is going to be a two horse race with Penny Morden and Rishi Sunak or whether he will emerge as the clear winner. Now both candidates need more than a hundred endorsements to run and Rishi has been the clear leader since this contest started. Despite being soundly rejected by the Conservative Party membership over the summer, it hasn't looked great for Morden. Despite her seemingly rapid rise and the fact that she has been preparing for this moment for months now, her camp claims she has 90 MPs behind her, but only 30 or so of them have come out publicly. And so what will happen now? We're just waiting to hear the news about what's coming next.
3: Okay. Sorry, I've just got a uh, tweet... Here, Uh, This is from Penny Mordaunt. It looks like uh, Penny Mordaunt has dropped out of the race. She obviously did not hit the numbers. Rishi Sunak is the new Prime Minister. Rishi Sunak is the new Prime Minister. He won the majority.
2: Good afternoon. Um, As returning officer in the leadership election, I can confirm uh, that we have received one valid nomination. (laughs) Rishi Sunak is, therefore, elected as leader of the Conservative Party.
1: Yeah. Oh, well, look, there's Ian Duncan-Smith. He's coming down the corridor It's now, and hopefully we can grab him. He is, of course, the former leader of the Conservative Party, backed Liz Truss earlier in the summer. And just before this meeting came out in support of Rishi Sunak... OK, here he is.
3: Yeah, yeah, sure.
1: How are you feeling? Huh?
3: Well, I think it's a very good idea that actually the decision has now been made. Uh, we have somebody who will be Prime Minister very shortly. And that means we can get on with the job and no more messing around really, which is the important thing. It's time to end all of this psychodrama that's been going on in the Conservative Party and get back to governing again and delivering what the people want.
1: Psychodrama, that's your words. Um, what do you see as his first priority?
3: His first priority is to stabilise the economy and get that moving. Uh, that 's critical, and he made that very clear, and then, after that, he said all the other things that we promised to do, make the most of the brexit stuff that we 'd done, make sure that we actually level up, do the thing that we promised to do at the time, get m- much more going on in those areas that have been left behind. These are his big priorities, and I think he 'll stick to them. I
1: uh, Have one last one, and what do you make of the claims this morning from Christopher Chope that the party is ungovernable now, and that he hasn 't well? The next prime Minister has an impossible task on their hands. Conservative Party is imploding
3: I think today'll we'll have brought that to an end uh, it 's not ungovernable if it chooses to be, but it's not. Uh, Looking at the response inside there today, I think people are relieved. They want to get behind the prime minister. And I think we have to do it. There is no other choice. So uh, I don't think there's a need for a general election. I don't want one now. I want us to deliver on what we said we'd do and then go to the polls in the normal time.
1: Coming up, what kind of prime minister can we expect Rishi Sunak to be? Okay, so I'm back with Jess in the Guardian's office in Parliament and we have another new leader of the Conservative Party, Rishi Sunak. Right, he isn't fully in charge. Um, That transfer of power will happen once Liz Truss resigned and he's appointed Prime Minister by the King. But he is actually, he's just about to speak for the first time publicly.
2: I'd like to pay tribute to Liz Truss for her dedicated public service to the country. She has led with dignity and grace... Through a time of great change, and under exceptionally difficult circumstances, both at home and abroad.
1: Okay, well, that was wildly brief and wooden. Jess, what did you make of the speech? I mean, it was
0: short, definitely. Uh, it was a very brief speech, and the one I think you know was several times longer than the one he uh, gave behind closed doors to Conservative MPs. But you know, he said there there isn't any doubt that the country is facing a profound economic challenge.
2: The United Kingdom is a great country, but there is no doubt we face a profound economic challenge.
0: And, you know, obviously his priority is is to bring the country together as well as the party. And, you know, I think there was probably a pretty naked attempt to draw a big line between himself and his predecessor and this trust, saying he'll, he'll serve with integrity and humility. I think both of those things were probably lacking a bit from both Boris Johnson and, and Liz Truss and that he's work day in, day out to deliver. And I think those things, they sound kind of simple and they sound soundbitey. But, you know, comparatively to what we've had, I think to Conservative MPs, those things will sound appealing.
2: That I will serve you with integrity and humility, and I will work day in, day out to deliver for the British people.
1: Does sound a bit like a, a LinkedIn profile made sentient though, doesn't he? <laughs> um, now, Jess, Grant Shapps claimed that it's actually unremarkable that we have the first Asian Prime Minister. He suggested that it's almost an afterthought, you know, as if he hadn't really noticed and that it would actually almost be imprudent to do so. But it is hugely significant. Britain now has, and it didn't elect him, a crucial point of difference, it now has its first prime minister who is a person of colour, the first from a Yorkshire constituency, and most certainly one of the most wealthiest leaders the country has ever had. How significant are all of those elements and how much of a milestone do you think Sunak's premiership is? Yeah, and I, I think that we should, you know,
0: Beyond doubt, it is a real moment for the country that we have the first person of colour as as the prime minister, and I think there is there is also something quite moving having someone who is a practicing person of another faith in Downing Street. You know, who lit Diwali candles with his family when he was in Number Eleven, and also he's becoming prime minister when it's Diwali. He'll you know it's it's Diwali this week, so having this, I think, is a re- is is a, is a massive moment. And, I mean, he's only 42. And, you know, for a lot of MPs who've got ambitions to be Prime Minister, they'll they'll find that a bit calling that someone so much younger than them is, is becoming Prime Minister. And he is actually always spoken about as this really experienced, safe pair of hands. But in fact... He's just as experienced as Penny Maldon. Um, you know, she, she's she's held, you know, potentially more cabinet jobs than him. He's certainly much, much, much less experienced than Liz Truss, who's been in the cabinet since David Cameron's times. So obviously the thing that marks him out is he has had this enormous job as chancellor during the biggest crisis that that this country has faced during the COVID pandemic. And so having to deal with that obviously is a pretty, pretty big bonus to your CV and your selling point as, as Prime Minister. But he, I think there have been, you know, moments where people have seen him as being a bit green. And, you know, especially in his in his reactions to criticisms, to difficult interviews, he often kind of comes across as a bit thin thin skinned. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, I think that was some of the doubts that MPs had about him. Earlier this year when he was facing that kind of questions over his wife's non-dom status, where that he seemed to be very, very you know prickly about that, not necessarily keen to face up to, to talking about it. So all of that is, yeah, I think part of the picture of, of him as prime minister and will all of those things under the glare of the spotlight of prime minister will be interesting to see how they play out.
1: Well, throughout this campaign, and it is his second attempt to become leader in what feels like as many months, we haven't publicly heard a peep from Sinek. He hasn't talked to the press. And as he was striding down that corridor this afternoon, about to make his first address to the 1922 committee as PM, he didn't acknowledge any of the journalists throwing questions at him. So how did he do it? How did he get this win?
0: Um, He essentially did it by being a submarine, I think. Um, And he obviously knew it was his to lose. Um, and I think probably benefited from Boris Johnson running in a funny way because you you people in the Morden campaign were saying to me, just you know just as it became clear she hadn't made the numbers that A lot of people who they were calling, particularly over the course of Sunday, before Boris Johnson dropped out, were saying, I cannot risk Boris Johnson becoming the prime minister. And therefore, I have to get behind. We have to, we all have to get behind Rishi. And they weren't prepared to back her because they didn't want to split the vote and risk letting Boris Johnson in. So I think it was his to lose. And as the kind of heir apparent, he needed to keep a very low profile not you know not dedicate time to doing anything as we were talking about before other than calling MPs shoring up support because it was so important for him to not just get over the 100 MP threshold to get him on the ballot he needed to show that he basically had the support of the majority of the party so that meant you know trying to get up to 200 endorsement which is which is no mean feat in a conservative party this divided
1: Um, Jess, one polling company has uh, published some research today in which they've asked voters to give them the word that they use, well, that they would associate with the prime minister. And in this word cloud, the one that comes up the most is rich. How rich is he? And how much will this matter as he presides over the biggest cost of living crisis this country has seen in a generation?
0: Yeah, I mean, so this is a couple who are on the Sunday Times Rich List, right? I mean, they have a combined fortune of seven hundred and thirty million pounds. M- mostly, it should be should be said to do with Sunak's wife and and the company that her father owns. And obviously, the other thing is that the public are clearly very aware of that. And for a lot of people, I think you know, conservative MPs will say that that is not—it is not necessarily a bad thing to have a rich person as prime minister because this is a country that values hard work and values kind of aspiration and entrepreneurialism. And um, you could question how much of Sunak's wealth is actually down to that. However, I think there are parts of what of, of Sunak's kind of um wealth that are uncomfortable. His home in, in Richmond has a, you know, a large swimming pool that was being built, just mm. as I think there were question marks over the local swimming pool and whether that was sustainable. And so there are always going to be these embarrassing things that come up. And I think for Labour, Sunak's wealth is an obvious target.
1: Well that was one of the reasons why he was, I guess, written off as a, a serious contender for the party leader a few months ago, because of his family's complicated tax status. What do we know about that and what does that tell us? So in April it was revealed that his
0: wife was a non-DOM UK resident. So that means basically that she avoided paying UK taxes on the the international element of her earnings um, in return for paying this annual charge of about £30,000 because otherwise she would have been liable for a taxable of about £20 million. So thirty grand seems like a good deal. And... After that kind of became public, his wife said that she would change her status.
2: She's always followed all the rules, paid all the tax in the UK that is due and paid tax internationally on her international investments. Uh, But she recognises this goes Beyond just following those rules. So she's decided to pay both UK and foreign taxes on her foreign investments, and I fully support So that, that
0: cost the couple an awful lot of money just to relieve that pressure on Sunak. And the other thing that was controversial was that he, during the back process, he admitted to
2: holding a US green card. I, I had a green card because I, as a legacy of my time living and working in America, nothing more than that. I always which again,
0: I, if uh, you I want, want be like like to, Minister, to be the Prime Minister, but also hold a green card, which suggests that you might. I, you know, want to go off and live in America again one day. I think there are signals that that sends that aren't comfortable. And you know, I think he's, you know, he's obviously been a partner in a hedge fund. He's worked for Goldman Sachs. You know, all of these things and not necessarily things that classic Tory voters might find to be a problem. But in the new constituencies that Boris Johnson won in 2019, his wealth is likely to be more of a problem than you know potentially Boris Johnson's was.
1: Well, what does it tell us about what kind of conservative he is? I mean, we've seen a lot about who Liz Truss is and her ideological brand of politics has ultimately sunk her. What does Sinek's record show? So Sinek is a Brexiteer.
2: I was proud to back Brexit, proud to back Leave. And that's because, despite the challenges in the long term... I believe the agility, flexibility and freedom provided by Brexit would be more valuable in a 21st century global economy than just proximity to a market.
0: And also came under quite a lot of pressure under the George Osborne years to fold in under the Remain campaign,
2: but he didn't. I remember over five years ago being told that if I backed Brexit, my political career would be over before it had even begun. Well, I put my principles first and I always will.
0: But I think, you know, he is clearly a kind of an internationalist conservative, someone who um, is probably in different circumstances, would have been very, very into free markets, low tax, you know, the similar kind of conservative to Liz Truss. But he obviously has spent a long time in the treasuries. He's got treasury brain, as some of the um, some of his detractors would have said, and understands the need... For stability in the economy and for predictability in the economy and for the, you know, basically essentially for the sums to add up. And that will mean he ends up and has done throughout his entire time in the the Treasury and now as Prime Minister, just doing things that are totally against his instincts.
2: We have never in peacetime faced an economic fight like this one. This national effort will be underpinned by government interventions in the economy on a scale unimaginable only a few weeks ago. This is not a time for ideology and orthodoxy. This is a time to be bold.
0: So, you know, you would never have expected a a chancellor, you know, in the mould of Rishi Sunak to have introduced the furlough scheme. He literally paid the country's wages for, you know, almost two years. Huge, huge, huge sums from the state propping up businesses and people's livelihoods. And that's, you know, that's just not what his political background is, doing that kind of thing. And over the course of the summer, he was the one trying to pile the pressure on Liz Truss, saying the state has to intervene further on energy bills. Now, He never went as far as pledging to do the energy freeze that that Liz Truss eventually introduced and has now rode back on. But he did say that, that, you know, there would clearly have to be state intervention to rescue individuals, to rescue businesses, to stop kind of mass defaults, to stop, you know, mass closures of businesses. And I think now we'll probably have to oversee some interesting decisions on spending.
1: And assuming he remains consistent, what do you expect that he'll do with his power now? What does he stand for? So the massive test for him first
0: is in a week's time, which is the fiscal event on the 31st of October, which I think is quite a safe assumption, not totally nailed on, but Jeremy Hunt will remain as chancellor. He's endorsed Sunak twice. Um, I think it would have a sort of, you know, it's a reassuring thing for the markets for, for him to stay because he's been working on this fiscal statement for the last few weeks. So that is the big test. How do the markets react to it? Can he make the sums add up? And it is easier now to make the sums add up because he's basically cancelled almost all of the measures that were in this Truss's first statement. The big question mark is probably over national insurance, um, which the national insurance rise, which he introduced. The, the bill has gone through now, which has cut that back down. Will he want to do more tax rises and, and how will the party react to to those tax rises if he needs to do them?
1: Rishi Sunak does have a job on his hands to rebuild confidence that the UK is a serious country. What do you think that's going to require from him? So he will
0: have, um, you know, in the next couple of weeks, Rishi Sunak will be going to the G20. That'll be his first moment on on the international stage. And he obviously has some experience of doing those kind of big summits as chancellor. And especially over the COVID crisis, you know, he was able to kind of have some credibility on the world stage during that period. I think there will be some relief in you know, kind of major world capitals, that there is someone who is a kind of trustworthy broker, at least, you know, in in, in Downing Street. And I think that that's can only be a good thing.
1: And just what about the future of the Conservative Party? Tory MPs have selected Tunak now without this time asking the rank and file members to vote on it. Are we going to see the party unite around him? Or do you expect more trouble ahead? So I think when the, the, the general sense against about from the, your average conservative
0: MP is relief and I think that is just a relief not you know re- necessarily a relief that Rishi Sunak is prime minister but that there seems to now be a policy that the focus back on policy over personality which is one of the lines that Rishi Sunak said in his speech um that there would be an end to the psych the Tory psychodrama that it would not be all of this public shredding of each other and I think that that's That is obviously something that they want to see and there is a sense from the party that that was untenable and they have to now unite behind Sunak. And there are are a few people who feel very, very strongly against a Sunak premiership, but most people are able to get on board with the idea, which I do not think was the case for Liz Truss. So that gives him some space and time, but it also doesn't change the fact that he's facing an incredibly difficult winter, an incredibly difficult series of choices, which will mean, you know, potentially further austerity, which will mean more and more people over the next few months seeing eye-watering rises in their mortgages, potentially really crippling rises in energy bills come April. And those are not ingredients for a popular prime minister. Although I think Rishi Sunak is, you know, all the polls are telling us that he's likely to start making some new gains against Labour and that probably will see that poll start to shift he told Tory MPs that the party's facing an existential threat and it was time to unite or die and I think they realise that I think they know that if there is more kind of sniping and division then the very difficult task ahead for Sunak will only be made
1: harder Jess, thank you so much Thank you That was Jessica Elgott My thanks to her and to all the Guardian's politics team for squeezing us into their Westminster office today. You can catch up with all their analysis, news, and John Crace's sketch of how the day unfolded at theguardian.com. And that's it for today. This episode was produced by Lucy Hoff and Alex Atak. Sound design is by Solomon King, and the executive producer was Phil Maynard. We'll be back tomorrow.
0: This is the Guardian.